Stars! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we uh, go through everything racing. Uh, joining me in the studio tonight, Seth Eggert, Richard Uden, and Louise Torres. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing well. Yeah, we're good. Alright, so uh, again, no live races uh this week, uh, although we are getting some conversation, uh, we've got a potential Formula One schedule. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of races that are slated to run without fans. Uh, I know they said the uh, Silverstone is going to run without fans. Uh, NASCAR has a couple of uh, commitments of races that will run uh, without fans. Um, IndyCar, of course, um, the option to run without fans is not very viable for them because they don't have the TV money that uh, Formula One and NASCAR do so they're they're still looking at a few other things there. So uh, so Seth, what's the what's the NASCAR schedule looking like right now? The, the season's going to start in is it Texas? No, it, it would start actually next month uh, with two races at Darlington, followed by two races at Charlotte, and then after the two races at Charlotte, I believe the p- current plan is Bristol, Atlanta. Martinsville Homestead. Uh, two races apiece. No, uh, one after Charlotte and Darlington right now are the only two that are getting quote extra races. Okay. Uh, Darlington instead of their normal one on Labor Day would have three this year, and Charlotte instead of having two and the All Star race, it would have three points races, which implies that. At least two NASCAR tracks and one SMI track will unfortunately lose races this year, and that's due to either state restrictions or, uh, in some cases, NASCAR not wanting the teams to have to travel and stay overnight at uh, venues because yeah, of I the noticed that uh, yeah, I noticed uh, Pocono was missing from the list that you mentioned there, so I don't know Pennsylvania's got well, some- Pocono is, well, Pocono isn't supposed to be until the end of June. Uh, that being said, the ones that might be losing out, again, a lot of this is still conjecture, but is uh, Watkins Glen, Sonoma, New Hampshire, Michigan, Kansas. And there's also conjecture that NASCAR may go to other tracks that they do own, including Road Atlanta. So, Road Atlanta, huh? Yes. So that would be the, interesting. 
So we may have a very unconventional NASCAR schedule uh, until July or August. Yeah, Road Atlanta is quite interesting because they've they've often talked about using that for IndyCars, but I, a lot of folks say like the track is too small, so I can't imagine that it would be great for the NASCAR guys. But uh, but again, as as a track, I, I do like the layout. And I know they've used it in the past uh, for testing purposes of when NASCAR allowed testing. Uh, famously, Brad Keselowski suffered a hung throttle, and I think he broke his left foot, if I remember correctly. And then the next, like, two or three days later, he won at uh, Pocono. Uh, that was 2011, I want to say. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, for some reason I thought he had that throttle stick at uh, Watkins Glen, but uh, no, maybe it was around Atlanta. Interesting. Yeah, he so, did have one. He did have one at Watkins. Yeah, I think it was well, a couple years was, later. Uh, famous. Um, yeah, because it was when they had the digital dash. And I was I was with children because they they um they put a video online and they'd um, obviously video edited out the dash so you couldn't see what the numbers were on the dash when you hit the wall. So obviously there are, there had some whatever on the uh, on the dash to sort of um, hide. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard, what's the what's the Formula One schedule looking like? I heard, the last well, I heard it was know. is now Paul Ricard is now scratched, That's which uh, nobody's so really. They're looking at yeah, they're looking at Austria for the first race on the fifth, uh, third third fourth fifth of July that weekend, um, and then running through Europe races. Uh, U.S., Asia, uh, into December, I think is the plan at the moment. But it's all, as with everything in the world right now, a little bit up in the air. Yeah, everything is everything is very fluid and subject to change at a moment's notice. Yes, it sure is. So, yep. so the um, the big news was that uh, Chip Ganassi has uh, named a replacement for uh, the disgraced Kyle Larson. And... Um, Seth, you want to tell us who that is? Because I thought it was a very interesting choice, and it was out of left field. I did not expect it. I don't think anyone expected uh, Matt Kenseth to technically come out of retirement. Uh, Matt Kenseth will uh, essentially assume the number 42 ride. He has received a waiver, so he is playoff eligible should he win and get in the top 30, or get enough points to make the top 16. Uh, and I believe all the sponsors are staying with the 42, which also means uh, he's reunited with McDonald's, who he made a debut with in 1998 while subbing for Bill Elliott. This is true. Now, if you, if you look at Chip trying to do damage control and finding somebody that his sponsors will find palatable, I mean, Kenseth fits that bill perfectly. He's a... Uh, uh, you know he's a he's, he's a straight laced guy. He's he's often free of controversy, um, you know, other than on track sort of things here and there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's uh, yeah. But as a as a guy, he's a very very great representative for any any company as a pitch man or you know now, as a face. So now per the AP and Jenna Fryer, uh, Matt actually wasn't the first choice. Uh, Carl Edwards was. Uh, Carl actually. Uh, considered the ride and took two days to uh, decide. And when he let the team know, uh, Carl declined a uh, return. But the other two names that Chip apparently was interested in was Kenseth and McMurray. 
which McMurray has obligations with NASCAR on Fox. So for McMurray, may, things may have been a little bit more complicated. Yeah, yeah. So, but but either way, um, I think Kenseth it'd be interesting to see him back in a car. I mean, he hasn't been out that long, but uh, yeah, I mean, he was still he was still pretty good banging on all cylinders when he was uh, racing just a few years ago. So that'll be if we get going. If we get going, I think he'll be good for that team. Um, because they, they tend to have a lot of ups and downs throughout their season. Uh, we noticed that if you've got a guy with a lot of experience like Kenseth. Yeah. Then, and I, yeah. So. Now, uh, just a little bit of irony here. Kenseth is reunited with Kurt Busch, his former Roush teammate from back in the day. Uh, he's taking over for, as you said, Kyle Larson, who made a pretty terrible mistake. Uh, something that Kurt Busch may have been known for, uh, his wild antics back in the day. So it's a, kind of ironic and kind of coincidental all of that is playing into one team now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess the um, we'll just have to see, you know, if and when the schedule, the thing gets underway. But, uh, I, I mean, Larson is still, uh, he's still suspended indefinitely. But I, I imagine his um, what sensitivity training is that the correct word for it? Yeah, is is probably well underway. I would imagine that that he's uh, trying to get that done quickly as he can. Heard anything uh, on that? Or I have not heard anything on that as of yet. I do know he has to complete the sensitivity training by a certain date in order to be eligible for World of Outlaws competition for when they get back. Uh, to racing at some point in the future. Uh, I don't exactly know how what the time limit is for that. I think it might have been a 30-day limit, but I'm not sure on that. So It is uh, a 30-day. Go... Okay, it is a 30-day limit. So I would assume if he plans on getting back into racing in any way, shape, or form, that it's underway and he would likely be completing it within the next week, week and a half. Yeah, but I just wonder. I mean, what's the what's the process for for completing this? Is it uh, you know if, because if it's a a course he needs to go to, a lot of that is shut down. But if it's uh, if he could do like do the whole thing online, I mean, you know, this sounds he's going to take an online sensitivity course, but uh, I'm sure that's an option. You know, I I would assume it would be something in normal circumstances that you would go to, which with the current pandemic going on. More than likely, they have been using some sort of application to substitute in-person meetings, whether it's Zoom, Microsoft Teams, or like we use Skype. Right, right, yeah, that's I'm, you know, I'm certain there's there's some way to uh, to get it accomplished. So, but but it's just as I think about it, really, I don't know what the 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 road to recovery program actually involves. You know, never having been booted out of NASCAR myself to have to do it. So um, it'll be uh, it'll be you know, dominating the news later when he's available and to see if somebody wants to pick him up and, uh, and, and what the fallout from that's going to be. So, yeah. but, but let's, let's talk about this weekend's iRacing because we had a, uh, a guest, a guest star at the IndyCar race, uh, come in and, uh, win the race. And that was a uh, young Lando Norris, who was a uh, formula one guy, but he's not only a formula one guy, he's a iRacing whiz. Uh, I mean, the guy's been uh, iRacing since he's been, he, the term for somebody that good at iRacing is he is an alien. Okay, so he's an iRacing alien. 
So, but uh, uh, not only that, but he uh, he said he used some of his uh, real time um, Formula One data. Uh, from running at uh, Circuit of the Americas to uh, apply towards his IndyCar race. But at the end of the day, I he said he had a great time, really enjoyed it, enjoyed the interaction with the other drivers. And he may be open to, you know, doing some IndyCar races at such a time when, you know, maybe his Formula One career is over. But, you know, again, his Formula One career is just getting underway, and I think the kid's got a lot of potential. But uh, either way, good, good news story, good feel-good news story. Uh, yeah. Coming out of the, that particular I race, and uh, and the NASCAR guys were where this weekend? Talladega. Okay, and how, how'd that go? I didn't get a chance to watch it. Well, for Saturday Night Thunder, uh, Landon Huffman won. Uh, he's the son of uh, former Truck Series driver Robert Huffman. He, Landon has run late models trucks, and he's done uh, some spotting for other drivers. Uh, he recently started his own esports company uh, late last year uh total advantage which competes not only on iRacing but in other forms of esports and he won essentially on the biggest stage for the Xfinity and truck and regional tour drivers for iRacing uh over on the cup side we had some new faces join iRacing uh Almirola uh Corey LaJoy, Jeff Gordon made a cameo uh, in the catch fence. Uh, oh, poor Jeff. But it was Alex, but it was Alex Bowman winning in a photo finish uh, with the field wrecking behind him. But Alex Bowman won, and to quote him post-race, I don't exactly know how this happened. I didn't practice for this week, but yet I won. Well, good for him. Good for him. Then again, we always say Talladega is a crapshoot, racing or real racing. So, um, And then the other big news we need to mention is that Ryan Newman is medically cleared to drive. You know, Mind you, we're, we're not talking about any races just yet, but you said uh, yeah, it's sometime in May they hope to get the season underway. So it'll be good to see Ryan back in the car. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he didn't miss a lot, honestly. And um, with all the races being canceled. So, uh, but just remarkable, remarkable, uh, you know, um, the whole thing, you know, that, that his injuries were rather mild. Just, you know, you know, we talked about this at length, how bad that crash looked and then, you know, how no broken bones and stuff. So it'd be good to see Ryan back. And for Newman, he has received a waiver for the playoffs. Uh, and to be medically cleared, he actually did do a, NASCAR sanctioned test. Uh, this was before uh, the shutdown for the pandemic actually took place. Uh, and it was a private test from what I've been told at Darlington Raceway. Uh, and he passed. I want to say he passed. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All, all of NASCAR's requirements, but he still wasn't going to be cleared to run Atlanta, uh, which at the time was, um, I think, the next race, or that might have been, uh, it might have been that with when the test took place, he couldn't run Atlanta because of timing of some sort. But there was some reason that he wasn't going to be in the car at Atlanta, but now. With the pandemic, by the time they get to Atlanta, he'll be in the car. All right, well, good for him. And, again, it'll be good just to see real race cars on a track, you know, coming soon to a track near you or or not near you, as the case may be. So makes me wonder how – when I heard about this whole numismatic testing, all I thought it was like he's just matching like a Days of Thunder sequence at Charlotte. They just have that private test. It's just Newman just doing flyers. Uh, out there at sunrise or whatnot. I don't know why I was thinking, well, but yeah. Well, something else I imagine too, and this is one of the only scenes I actually take away from Driven as oh, as much of a laughing stock that movie is. <laughs> Driven. Uh, but the uh, scenes in which Jimmy Bly has to prove that he can get out of the car while injured in under a certain amount of time. Uh, I want to say there is some sort of protocol that NASCAR and I'm sure IndyCar and Formula One that in the event that a driver crashes, that they can get out of the car under their own power mm-hmm. in a certain yes. amount of time. Yes. That, so, that, yeah. that, is, that is a real thing. So I, I want to say, seen, I don't know if you've seen the video of uh, Billy Monger cause he had to pass that test, uh, you know, yeah. to get out of the car without legs. And he, uh, yeah, he was, he was able to with, with flying colors to get out of that car with the so halo I, and everything. So I would assume that was also a part of that test too for Newman. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot, a lot of things they will take. I think they will t- take it step by step, like carefully to see if he's ready to go or not. But the fact that he probably would have been ready before, but after Atlanta had this thing not happened, he it, it would have been something for sure, no matter the situation. And when he comes back, once racing comes back. As weird as convoluted as it is, how the structure's going to be, I think once we get back racing, there's going to be a lot of storylines with Newman coming back and Kenseth. I want to mention something about Kenseth. I still firmly believe to this very day, even back in 2017, I said that he could be probably the last guy, who knows about Kevin Harvick's future, that could probably get the job done past his 40s, which Kenseth is. Because we don't see that aspect anymore, because they either retire or just lose their touch. So... Who's to say how he's going to do with Ganassi? I think it's going to go a little bit more better than his stand with the Roush Fenway team in 2018. Yeah, for sure. It's a like I said, it's it's a good opportunity, you know. Because at, at his at his core, Ganassi runs a pretty good operation. It just it just seems like lately they've been really, really up and down. You know, so some days they're they're right on point and and you know winning a race, and then other days they're lost. And one last thing about Newman. Uh, Despite the shutdown and despite him missing three races, 
he's still ahead of seven drivers in points and currently is in the top 30 in points. So, so yeah, so that, that waiver, he's still going to be, he's, 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 if he wins, he's already in the playoffs there you and go. he only there has to go. get to the top 16 if he doesn't win. Yeah, he could certainly do that. I mean, we've seen Ryan in the in the playoffs more often than not. I mean, he's usually one of those one of those guys there at the end of the year. I mean, he came darn close to uh, the one year he was in the in the final four. He came close to winning the thing without winning a race all year. So, um, and again, and how old is Ryan Newman? Is he he's over forty, isn't he? Yes, he is. Okay, there's another guy talking about getting it done over forty. So, uh, but let's uh, let's talk about our topic for tonight because we had a. Uh, Last week we discussed um, uh, shocking retirements or quick retirements. Uh, this week we're going to discuss unexpected comebacks or uh, surprising comebacks. And interesting that we start talking about the chase here because one of the ones uh, that we were talking about was Kyle Busch. And um, Seth, you want to talk about the Kyle Busch and his comeback from the injuries at Daytona? Yes, and uh, the Xfinity Series in 2015, Kyle was driving for Joe Gibbs Racing, and he was involved in one of the final crashes. That And that crash, if I remember correctly, broke both of his legs, his left ankle, and I think his right shin. That sounds about right. Uh, I know the injuries were different on each leg, but the... Uh, point of the matter is he missed 11 races in the Cup Series. He was granted a waiver, came back uh, four races or five races after he came back. He won at Sonoma, went on to win the championship. And so far, he's the only driver to receive a waiver and go on to win the championship. Right. The other guy that received the waiver was Tony Stewart. Uh, Tony Stewart, he in, in, injured his yeah. Kurt Busch had the waiver for the the legal troubles or whatnot, right? Yes. Or the craziness. Uh, and Tony and, Stewart had injured his back in a uh, uh, dune buggy. Or yes, something, and go- goofing around at the beach, turned over Kyle, uh, fake TV. Yes, and Kyle Larson had a waiver for uh, his uh, fainting spell at Martinsville in 2016, I believe. So the interesting thing about Kyle is now there are a certain amount of people who don't think his championship is legit. Uh, again, I, I feel that it's perfectly legit, legit because it was within the rules, within the guidelines. He did exactly what he needed to do to win that. But um, I was, I for one was glad that uh, Kyle won a second one so that he wouldn't have to have that asterisk, you know, follow him around the rest of his life. He could still have a, uh, Last year's championship to point to to one where he did the whole season, but uh, either way, an, an incredible comeback from some some fairly devastating injuries. Uh, you know, um, you know, bone bones take some time to heal, and 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 bone bone breaks and bone surgeries are some of the most painful um, surgeries that you can have. So, now now, Richard, you've got a good example of a comeback for us since you've been quiet over there. Uh, I mean, you got to guess it's probably one of the most famous ones, aren't you, Nicky Lauda? Um, you know, everybody knows that story pretty well now, don't they? It's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what that guy went through and he was as tough as they come, um, to, to sort of, uh, you know, to, to, to build himself back from those. The, you know, a lot of these injuries we talk about are just bad injuries. I mean, these were devastating and, and, and life threatening. And I mean, the guy was given his last rights on multiple occasions 
throughout those injuries. So, um, you know, it was incredible what he did and uh, what he went, you know, came back. And then, you know, and, and also I think, you know, amazing to give him the credit that he actually, you know, he worked, he, he sort of came back, but then he was on the verge of winning the championship despite missing those two races. And he just walked away from the championship, potentially. You know, he said, no, I, it's too dangerous. Uh, I'm not doing this, which was which was pretty incredible, really, after all he'd been through. Yeah, well, those the conditions of the Japanese Grand Prix were beyond deplorable. I mean, that's that's a race. Oh, for sure. I mean, that, that's a race this day and age that they would have just canceled it. But but then, I, you know, the, um, the the TV contracts were not what they were. It was you know the, there wasn't an opportunity to reschedule and still get the TV money. Uh, you know, there were fewer networks, fewer options. You know, we couldn't we couldn't move it to Fox Sports Two or something like that uh, to to get it in. So they, so they ran that thing just to get it in the TV slot when the conditions were they shouldn't have run that thing. They, they, no. they, they absolutely shouldn't have. So, um, and it's, it's, it's a wonder nobody got hurt. Yeah. Well, we're going to be grateful for that. Yeah. But, but again, a, a truly amazing story. And then of course that race was uh, won by Mario and then hunt himself had a nice comeback within that race to finish right where he needed to be to, to, to beat louder for the title by a couple of points. Yep. And then, yeah, then, then Lauda came back in 77 and won, won the title again. So pretty pretty amazing stuff there. Now, Louise, you got one for us? Yeah, certainly I have have one. There's there's so plenty of plenty of them out there where you could go with an Ernie Urban or Alex Zanardi. Let's talk about the one I, or even Rick Mears, as I brought up, we brought up last week. I think one that kind of gets a little bit forgotten to a degree I know the the overall structure isn't as significant as those other guys. That's Roberto Guerrero, who not that long after his Indianapolis 500 heartbreak, he had this horrific testing accident that could have probably cost him his life. He recovered just fu- just fine, and then a few years later, he comes back. To, he runs at Indianapolis. He puts the Buick, the Quaker State Buick, on the pole, no less. And it makes me wonder: had that had the weather been different, had reliability played in, who's to say how Guerrero would have done? Yeah, that's that the year he's that's the year he spun on the pace lap, right? Yep, ninety two. when the, the the track temperatures were like hovering in the fifty degree mark, and the guys had a real tough time getting heat to the tires. Yeah, just this one sticks out more or less. I as as far as like the non major ones, all of the comebacks are significant to me. This one doesn't really get talked about because I know what, what I understood and read that it could have probably ended his life, that testing accident in 87. Just the, just the fact that he came back, redeemed himself for just for one day and on pole day, kind of sets up the comeback complete. And then let's go a little bit more recent with James Hinchcliffe. He pretty much was slain in the car. Had it not been for that safety team, the always superb safety team, we would not have Hinchcliffe to this very day, and who's to say how the landscape of IndyCar would have been been right now? But comes back, wins mm. wins the pole. It's just, it's just the nature of Indianapolis. There's another one, Nelson Piquet, pretty much shattered his whole legs. Sure, his driving career was never the same again. I think he only drove, he made the 93-500, and that was about hit his racing career-wise, as far as international mainstream-wise. But those ones really stick out, and the, the last one that I'll bring up is Robert Kov- Robert Kavitsa. Yes, he only scored one measly point after somebody else got a penalty. Yes, uh, he well, didn't. Yeah. One one more point than I've scored. 
<laughs> yeah. It's kind of sad that the last two points Williams has scored in the last two years were after a consequence from another team with Kubica getting it last year and then Sergei Sorokin the year before. But just the fact Kubica came back, gave Formula 1 a go, ended up being on the grid, which if you're a part of that oh, 20 yeah. car, if you're a part of that 20 car grid, sure. No matter how you got in there, you 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 have a reason to beat her to an extent. It's just yeah. that Kubica got that right for Williams. Sure, it wasn't all that spectacular because it's just considering Williams' struggle. I think it's super admirable in my oh, massively. eye. Massively, yeah. I, I think that was the that was one of the, the the hidden stories of last year, really. When you look at it and what he achieved, I mean, yeah, the results certainly weren't what he wanted, and and. Weren't at the level of a driver that he, you know his skill would look for, but uh, you know, to from a an emotional standpoint and a, a feat of human endeavour, it was phenomenal, and he's got to take a huge amount of credit for that. Really, yeah, people very, are very yeah. people are very quick to criticise him unfairly in many many ways, but the guys are you know to, to my mind a, a, an inspiration to a lot of people. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And there's a couple of other, you know, guys coming back from from injuries. You mentioned Zanardi, uh, of course, you know, now he's got a couple of gold medals in the, in the Paralympics, but he was he was nearly pronounced dead on dead on the scene there, nearly bled out. Uh, A.J. Foyt had a crash in 65 where he lost his brakes at Riverside at the end of the straightaway. When they came to the car, they were pretty certain he was dead and um, it, he wasn't. Uh, he came back and, uh, you know, won three more Indy 500s after that and and, uh, and a Le Mans to boot. Um, and Billy Monger recently, that's I just said we'd mentioned him just a bit ago. Billy Monger, the, the, the kid lost both his legs and then, then, then he came back and he's winning races. Which is which is absolutely incredible. So, but mm-hmm. let's but let's talk about uh, you know we've got the, the comebacks from injuries. Let's talk about like a comeback within a race, okay? So like uh, I'll start here and say, you know, you got a couple of the Indy 500s. Always got a couple of great stories of guys that uh, it looks like their race is over. Uh, that due to the length of the race and the way the yellows drop, you know, we had a uh, Jacques Villeneuve um, go two laps down in the in the Indy 500 in 95, I uh, ended up winning the race, of course, with an assist uh, from Scott Goodyear passing the pace car and then refusing to uh, to yield to the to the black flag. But uh, I mean, that was a great comeback there. And we had mentioned off the air earlier um, Juan Montoya tangling with Simona Di Silvestro earlier early in the race, dropping all the way to the back of the field to have the the, the bodywork replaced at the back of the car and coming back and winning. Now, Seth, you've got a good one you want to mention. Yes, uh, Bill Elliott in the 1985 uh, Winston 500 at Talladega, where he went two laps down. I want to say it was an oil line issue. Uh, I might be forgetting the exact reasoning, but he made up both of those laps at Talladega before we had restrictor plates under green and came all the way back to win the race. So he passed every single car on track three times under green. Yeah, this is before they had the this is before they had the lucky dog rule and those sort of things. Yes. Yeah, so that that is an incredible incredible bit of driving there. And I believe that is also the same race he uh it might not be the same race he set the pole record of two hundred twelve miles per hour, but I believe that one was one of the ones in which he 
uh, set the poll, I want to say, 208 or so. That was back when we had ridiculous speeds at Talladega. Not that we don't have them now, but they're more ridiculous then than they are now. Yeah, for the, that style of car and for that era, yeah, those those speeds were were scary fast for the for those NASCAR cars. So now, now Richard, you've got a you've got an example. Yeah, a little bit more recent. I think it was 2012. Jensen Button winning in Canada. He was uh, the race was stopped halfway through, and I think he was he'd already collected his teammate on the start finish line and, and taken Hamilton out, which is never hurts if he's in the field and you want to win a, win a, win a race. That's a pretty good tactic. Um, and then he was, I think at the restart, was either last or dropped to last and then made a miraculous, you know, Jensen was great in the way. He had that feel for the car and that finesse and that ability to to sort of handle a car in that way, which is pretty unique to a lot of guys. And, um, yeah, he, he sort of ran through the field and on the last lap, uh, about halfway around the lap, uh, Vettel ran wide and, uh, yeah, Jensen just nipped in there and uh, and took the win, which was an incredible you know, achievement, really. It was uh, a fantastic drive. All right, Louise, your turn. You got one for us? I think the one that comes up to mind that doesn't involve free passing, because if we, if we factored in, I'd say Jeff Gordon, 2005 Martinsville in the spring, where he had, like, a tire go down. He lost three laps or so and got all the free passes and went on to win the race. But one that sticks out to me, the – one that does, quite honestly, is back as 2002 Richmond and the fall race, where it seems like everybody that was out in front had pro- would eventually have problems. So, like, all the big guys, even Greg Biffle was leading in Bobby Hamilton's in the truck series race a couple nights prior. Matt Kenseth had a flat tire. He was doing pretty good, and I think nobody had him contending for the win after that. And boom, lo and behold, as everybody was starting to crumble, strategies fell into his favor, and he just went on to win the race despite having the flat tire. It was, I consider, a really wild Richmond race, which in 2002, both of them had wild races like it. But that one, the fall one, which pretty much was the turning point of the whole Winston Cup season, happened. And Kenseth just never gave up and just persevered from that one. And, of course, the Gordon one, he got some help. But it's, I find it surprising. At a track like Martinsville, where he was super Super beast in that track. The fact he was able to come back from that and win it in the year 2005, which was one of Gordon's worst years, says a lot of how good he was at that track for his entire career. Yeah, he was very good at that track. But speaking of Martinsville and comebacks, what about Harry Gant oh, yeah. 1991? Uh, that one, and you, 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 you reminded me of another one as well, but we'll listen to the Harry one before I talk. bring up the other one. Oh, Harry Gant. You know, we just we just talked about Harry Gant not that long ago on the show, a couple of weeks ago. We we had mentioned in this particular race where he was. Uh, Harry Gant had a three race uh, win streak going, and then he uh, he was leading handily at Martinsville and uh, got loose, got into the wall, tore the front end off of the car. And I, I remember right there, Benny Parsons was uh, calling the race for ESPN. He said, well, well, that's it. That's the end of Harry Gant's win streak there. And, and don't you know, they, they pulled in the in the pits. They, they, they cut some parts off the car. They put some tape on it. They sent him back out to stay on the lead lap, came back in the next lap. I think he made four or five pit stops on consecutive laps just to stay in the lead lap. And and then they end up winning that race, missing the whole front end of the car, parts of the back end of the car. Uh, you know, the, the thing looked like they pulled it out of a junkyard, 
and, and threw it on the track, but uh, and he kept that win streak intact. Now, now, Seth, you've got a little inside info on that. I know we talked about that, where um, the, there might have been a, a little bit of the reasoning for the fact that he uh, had such a good win, uh, win streak going on that was revealed when a lot of that body work was missing. Yes, uh, uh, Harry Gant's team had figured out uh, that staggering the rear tires uh, increased the speed and the grip, and a lot of the teams back then were not doing that. So when he hit the wall, granted, he hit the wall with the, the front end of the car, but it tore sheet metal all the way back, at least on the right-hand side. So as they watched the car come by and then go away, they could see that, hey, that tire is tilted. That tire has stagger. Hmm. That, that was not against the rules. It's just something they No, it of... was not. As some, but but then once the other guys knew what he was doing, they said, "Well, we'll try that too." And so. and then about two or three weeks later, uh, there was a new rule uh, limiting how much stagger you could have in the rear car, or the rear of the car. So eventually, NASCAR caught on because of how extreme some teams went, which is typical even today. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, but but either way, I mean, a fantastic drive and fantastic uh, pit work by that team to to keep him on that lead lap and and to win that win that race against uh, you know against all conventional wisdom that that tells you wrecked cars don't win races. So, yeah, Eric Jones proved that this year. <laughs> he yeah, win with yeah. a wrecked bucket. The the other one I was going to bring up was John Andretti in '99. That was that was the ultimate example that was better than mine. But since you brought up Martinsville, then I just remembered about John Andretti, how he spun, lost laps. He was rallying, and rallying was quicker than Jeff Gordon, quicker than Jeff Burden, got by, was turned out to be his last Winston Cup win, and the last one under petty enterprises. Of course, Richard would win again at Sonoma with Casey Kane, but under the petty enterprises name, it was the last, to my knowledge, on the Cup side. Yeah, that was a good one. Richard, do you have any other examples, or Seth? I mean, I think a comeback win within when I was winning a race. No, I think when I mean, was it a win? Um, remember when Schumacher came back in '99 after he broke his leg, and just I mean, he had to try not to win the Malaysian Grand Prix, you know, because he was he was he qualified like a second faster than anybody else, and uh, you know he had to give the win over to Irvine to keep Irvine in the championship and. That was a masterful drive. I mean, it wasn't a comeback within a race, but it was a you know a comeback from injury. And it was, but he didn't win. <laughs> but it was still but, an amazing but, but, drive. But, 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 but he should have I mean, been, could have, yeah. Oh, I mean, under normal circumstances, he would walk that race. It was a an effort for him not to win the race, which I think is the most incredible thing about it. Yeah, I know. And then Eddie Irvine lately has been saying that you know Schumacher really wasn't the goat. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know if you, yeah. you read, read that one or not, but I'm like, yeah, Eddie. Um, Wood, revisionist if history. If anybody <laughs> quotes Eddie Irvine, you just turn it up immediately, don't you? Yeah, it's, yes, like, it's, it's like when Jacques Villeneuve has something to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Who so does he think is the go or Irvine? I know no, he's not going to he, say he's, Senna. No, he said that uh, Schumacher wasn't the GOAT because Schumacher's contracts um, were written so that his teammates were not allowed to beat him. Now I, I said think, Eddie Irvine who signed one of those contracts. Well, said Eddie Irvine who couldn't beat him if he tried. You know, yeah. 
so that, that's 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 my simple point there. So I, I, I don't know. It just it's just interesting you bring that up. He had to really try hard to to let Eddie Irvine win, and now Eddie's saying these kind of disparaging remarks, you know, about about about, about a guy who's still uh, recovering from um, brain injuries from a few years ago. Uh, but let's let's talk about a, a career comeback. You know, somebody who's, you know, maybe they they thought their career was over. Uh, so, you know, because we had mentioned Matt Kenseth earlier, or somebody whose career was on the downslide, and and suddenly had a you know a, a a nice moment or a comeback. And I'll I'll start, and I want to mention Al Unser Sr. in 1987. Uh, you know, Al had been uh, you know Al had been shown the door by Penske a couple of times. It was it was uh, at the end of the '84 season. He was uh, hired to run an 85 to to replace Mears, but he was you know supposed to be uh, replaced by Danny Sullivan in 1985. Uh, but when when Mears was injured, they said, "Well, I, I guess Al, you could drive for us another year." And uh, Al says, "Well, okay," and uh, wins the championship. Um, of course, <laughs> by by 87, he's you know shown shown the door by Penske again. Uh, again, he's rideless at the Indy 500. Um, Danny Sullivan, or I'm, I'm sorry, Danny Ungaius rather is contracted by Penske to run the car uh, with sponsorship from uh, Ted Field and Panavision. Uh, Danny wrecks the car massively in practice. The injured isn't able to drive. Um, again, uh, Penske goes to Big Alice as Al. Uh, I need a I need a favor, and Al says, Well, yeah, sure, I'll help you out. And uh, they, they pick up a car, a show car from a hotel lobby in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and have it shipped to Indy. They, they get it race ready. Uh, they get some sponsorship from um, Detroit Diesel and Cummins. And uh, what does Big Al do? Wins the Indy 500. Uh, you know, here's a guy that, you know, the, the, the Penske tried to put him out to pasture twice, and he just keeps coming back and winning. So, uh, you know, a remarkable story there. Everybody loves the story of the uh, hotel lobby car. So now, now Seth, Richard... Or, Louise, you guys got an example of a guy I, with a career comeback? I have one. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger. Uh, I, after he he failed the substance abuse uh, policy or was in violation of it in 2012 at Daytona, uh, he came back, ran essentially for James Finch, ran the Indy 500 uh, for uh, Roger, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, yep. Yep. And and ultimately, he was able to score that elusive Cup Series win uh, for JTG Doherty Racing. He also won, I think, two out of three road course races for uh, Roger uh, when he came back that year as well. But he turned his career around dramatically after uh, his fall from grace. And granted, he never reached the heights that I'm sure he wanted or the heights that some others who turned their career around. Uh, but that's one of the ones that uh, sticks out to me. Yeah, Allmendinger's career was had, had several ups and downs. Because as you recall, before he was running NASCAR, he, uh, he had a, a streak, I, I believe, where he won two or, or maybe three races in a row um, in, the, in the kart series before he moved to NASCAR. And then, then he was kind of on the downside, and then he was – you know, they were seen as a road course specialist and whatnot. But, uh, you know, overall, yeah, pretty pretty good career for the guy. I look at Almendinger's NASCAR career being saved by his, by running those races with Ganassi and the Bush slash Nationwide. That really helped him a lot in my book. Because had he not drove for Ganassi, I don't know if he would have lasted past 07, 08. 
Yeah, yeah, perhaps not. So, Richard, you got uh, you got an example here? Um, I mean, you got career combat. I mean, we're talking about, you know, does a sabbatical count with some of these guys? You know, yes, yes, because, be, because I've, I've got an example I'm bringing up that, that involves a sabbatical, but uh, go right ahead. Well, you've got guys sabbatical. like... Uh, Guys like Alan Prost, uh, you know, who took a year out. Nicky Lauda, who took a three-year absence uh, and came back and won world championships. So, uh, you know, there's been a few few guys involved, which is interesting, you know, how people can do that. You know, it's you, you, they always talk about rhythm and, and uh, you know, and, and being in the groove in, in sport and life. And then to take such a long break from it and then come back and, and, and um, you know, be as effective as they were, it's pretty impressive, really. Yeah, when Lauda hopped into that McLaren in in '83, uh, he looked like yeah. he'd ne- he looked like he'd never been out of the car. He was instantly fast. Yeah, and then of uh, course you got Schumacher, who looked like he'd been away for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the guy I wanted to bring up was Emerson Fittipaldi, who had a had a nice career in Formula One. He was the youngest guy to win the world championship. He won won two championships in the '70s, uh, and then he. He left a top ride with McLaren to drive for his brother's team, and and he you know drove for the Cooper Sukar team and, and kind of you know occupied the the midfield to back of the grid his last couple of years in Formula One. I believe he walked away from the sport in uh, 1980, uh, took a few years off, and then 1984 he shows up in America in a in a, a bright pink IndyCar, and um, so suddenly he's he's got a whole second career going on. Uh, he, he joins the IndyCar series. He, he ends up uh, after running the, the WIG car. It was he gets signed by um, Pat Patrick, uh, and Patrick has this interesting deal going on with Penske, where he's uh, you know F- uh, Fittipaldi is bringing along Marlboro sponsorship. Um, Patrick's looking to get out of the sport at the time, so he he sells half his team to Chip Ganassi. Then they become Patrick Ganassi Racing with the with the plan that at the end of that season um, Ganassi will take over the team which which did happen became uh, Chip Ganassi Racing in 1990 um, then he made a deal with Roger Penske where that the uh, Patrick Ganassi team could run uh, the Penske chassis uh, and then at the end of the year uh, Penske would get the Marlboro sponsorship and Emerson Fittipaldi uh, and that, that worked out amazingly well that year 89 uh, Fittipaldi won the championship, and he won the Indy 500. And the interesting thing about Fittipaldi is you would expect a, a guy coming out of Formula One to be, be a road course ace, right? So, But where, where do you think Fittipaldi's first win was? Michigan. Michigan 500. You know, it's 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 kind of amazing when you, you think about these these guys coming out of Formula One. You expect to be road course race, racers, and how good some of them are at ovals. I mean, look at look at Mansell when he when he came to the series for a couple of years. Um, all of his wins except for one were on ovals. Um, you look at you look at Jim Clark and Graham Hill, how good they were at Indianapolis. So, but here's Fittipaldi had a whole second career. Um, you know, in IndyCar, winning the championship, winning two Indy 500s, uh, and then, then eventually had some injuries in Michigan in '95, which uh, pretty much ended his career there. So, but that that was another you know whole second career, whole comeback. Oh yeah, definitely with Fittipaldi. That was going to be actually my choice. How his he had a great Formula One career to start off. Great first half. The second half, probably forget it. You want to forget it. And then he comes in the IndyCar slash car was a master uh, on those ovals 
It's just, but, and he was doing really well. He had like a career renaissance. Very few has have that have that career renaissance from. They're not from the same sanctioning body. I was going to say discipline, but they're both. But the sanctioning bodies were different because Formula One and Card are open wheels, just different different sanctionings. But and I was going to say Sullivan had that career ender in '95, but Apaldi was the following year when the the race after Toronto when Krasnov was killed. But comeback wise. Aside from Bittipaldi, I think one that kind of sucks into my mind and relatively and within the past 30 years, I think Montoya. I say Montoya is another interesting comeback. He leaves American Open Wheel Racing to go to Formula One after 2000. Shoulda, coulda, woulda been a probably a really good driver, had reliability, and also kind of his personality would have allowed him to be more dominant. Goes to NASCAR. He did good compared to the other open wheel guys that came along that time period. Probably was the best one of the bunch. Almendinger kind of rose as the years went on. People want to talk about the, dry, the, the jet dryer. That's all we want to bring it up. And that's all I want to yeah, you, you can't mention Montoya without talking about the jet dryer. Yeah, that's all they want to bring up. And so he leaves NASCAR kind of like embarrassed. Comes back to American open wheel racing in IndyCar, and especially in Indianapolis. Didn't skip a beat. It's like Montoya and Indianapolis were made for one another. And you had, like you mentioned about Fittipaldi, Graham Hill, and Jim Clark. There are certain open wheel drivers that just have Indianapolis meant for them. To see Montoya have those great IndyCar seasons, could have won the championship. He was the championship leader in 15 for all but the championship finale race due to a teammate fiasco with Will Power that gave Dixon the championship, but also due to the fact it was double point. But the fact that Montoya comes back. Essentially, over a decade and a half without running American Open Wheels or that gap from leaving Open Wheels to stock cars to come back, I think that just proves that Montoya is one of the be- one of the best out there, and he's shown it now in the latter part of his career, being a sports car driver, helping Dane Cameron out. Well, he won that, well. He, he won the IMSA championship this past year. Yeah, you know he's he's no slouch in in sports cars either. Which I mean, it, it blows my mind that that Roger's not entering a fifth car for him in Indianapolis. Yeah, I think you know I, I would you know I would pull all the stops out. I mean it's like you know it's not like Roger can't afford it. I mean if Michael can bring five and six cars, Roger can put Montoya in a car. I just I don't I don't understand that one. I don't know if there's any in team politics or whatnot, or or if they just think that the four cars in Indianapolis is the the, the sweet spot number, and then they they retain uh, Elio for that fourth car just so that you know, Elio has another shot at the at his uh, win number four. But but to your point, yeah, Montoya had come back to um, IndyCar racing like he never skipped a beat. And his record of uh, winning the Indy 500 in 2000 and then winning it in 2015 is the longest gap of uh, between wins of anybody in, in, in Indianapolis. And he only had, he had two wins and three starts in 2015, which is an amazing record. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good one, Montoya. Now, Seth, you've got another one? Oh, you don't, do uh, you? I, I don't. I actually don't. All right, Richard. Mm. I was I was reading one today. I forget who it was. Somebody early on, um, Tim Flock ha- had retired and came back early on. I didn't didn't catch all the details when I was trying to do a little research today. Um, so Seth, are you familiar with that at all, or? 
Well, I don't. If I remember correctly, it wasn't that he came. It wasn't that he left and came back. I think he was forced out, if I remember correctly, because he had tried to start a driver's union. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, him and uh, Curtis Turner, if I remember correctly. Okay, see, folks, yeah. you can tell our show is not scripted. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, Seth, you did have a trivia question you wanted to share. We talked about uh, um off the air earlier, so let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, stump one another with some trivia questions for these last ten minutes. Then, okay, uh, seven Cup Series drivers have gone into the booth for TV at one point or another. Uh, name at least one of those drivers. Darrell right Waltrip. I was gonna say I'm that, trying to make uh, it easy at first. I'm talking specifically for cup broadcasts. Yeah, so... Wally... Daryl Waltrip, no? DW, yes. Uh, okay. I thought somebody said Kozlowski. Oh, which, sorry. I thought yeah. he's done the, the Xfinity something there, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, Jeff Gordon. Jeff Burton. Wally Dollenbeck. Benny Parsons. Ned Jarrett. Are, are, are any of these right yeah, sets? You're not, you're not talking to us. I was going to say, you're right, uh... I'm, I probably made this easier than I... Kyle did, Petty. But, oh, wow. Yeah, Kyle Petty for sure, yeah. Okay, so, who else has a trivia question? <laughs> <laughs> All right, can you name... Let's see, try to remember. who There are four Formula One drivers this season that are about to enter. If once racing season resumes, there are four Formula One drivers... They're about to enter their third decade in the sport. Can you name these four drivers? Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kimmy. Uh, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, in four, four, third decade in Formula, Formula One. Formula One, yeah. yeah. Vettel? Yep, there's one more. Mm. I'm trying to think. He's been around for a while. Come on, Richard, you should know this. I know. <laughs> it's just oh, like, who else has been around? Because there's so many young guys in the sport right now. Are they full-time driver or test driver? Full-time. full-time. No no test driver. Otherwise, Kubica would have been another yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, would, not, uh, it's not Ricardo, is it? No. No, okay. No. I was going to say Valtteri? No. No. Um... Carlos? Uh, no, check that. No. Right? No. Think, I'll give you one hint only. Think the yellow and white car of that time period. Came in late in the season. Yellow and white came in late in the season. Hulkenberg? No. no. He's out this year, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, boy. Now, this is um, something we should know. <laughs> this should be easy. Um, well, he took this guy took over a, after a controversy. Sergio Perez? No, that's been mentioned already. Yeah, yeah it, wasn't, okay. it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't No, it wasn't Giovinazzi. He didn't uh, come no. in and do anything at the last minute, did he? Um, oh my goodness, mate. Good grief! Who have we not thought of? I mean, it was uh, well, we haven't said guy. either of the horse drivers. Oh, is it Roman? Gross. Yep. Roman drove for Renault after PK got sacked in 09. 
that was it. Yeah, and then he decided to. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he decided to bolt over the back of Alonso, didn't he? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of hard. Yeah, that one. Because he ended up going back to GP2, didn't he? I, I, I think he's been there through the since joining Renault in 09. I think he's been on the grid since, to my knowledge. I don't know. But he, he took a year off after that whole, like, vaulting over the back of Alonso when, he, you know, he, his reputation was um, yeah, um, after 2012. damaged. What? Yeah, I, I'm pretty certain he took a year and went back to GP2. Uh, he actually took three years off. He after 2009, he didn't uh, return to Formula One until 2012. Okay, there you go. And it was something like so. Yeah, I, I knew he he partaken in it and then stepped away. So that must have been what it was. Yeah, yeah. It's just a match. Just a, just a thought of Grosjean going in the third decade. I think everybody would be surprised to think about that. People. Because I honestly forgot to, in, to a degree, he even drove for Renault in 09. Because it's just when you think of Roshan, you just think of the the infamous stuff, not the longevity of his career. Yeah. And yeah, uh... and the guys that have already done it, like Mario Andretti, Graham Hill, Yarno Trulli, Pedro De La Rosa, Michael Schumacher, Rubens Barrichello, Ricardo Patrese. Yeah, Pedro de la Rosa actually drove three decades in Formula One. That's yeah, yeah. Or not. Considering. Did, didn't yep. Um, Kakinen, didn't know. He didn't do anything in the 80s, did he? No. I even yeah, looked at. Done something in the 80s. No. Yeah, I was thinking also like uh, Surtees or Holm or Regasoni, but they didn't last through a third decade or so. But. All right, I think next one. I'm ready for the next one. Ready for the next question? All right, so the first Indy 500 and the most recent Indy 500 were both won on Firestone tires. Name the other tire manufacturers who have won Indy 500s. Goodyear. Goodyear. Yes. Michelin. Dunlop. Correct. Avon. No, not Dunlop either. How about Pirelli? Pirelli? Nope. Um, I'm tr- I'm am ga- willing to bet it's a tire company that no longer exists. I know for a fact there was one that doesn't exist anymore, but I can't remember did, the name. Did Did Firestone ever run as Bridgestone? I don't I w- think so. I doubt it. Uh, not as Bridgestone, no. Okay. Not not at the end of five. There's there's two you're missing. Hmm. Oh, BF Goodrich. Yes, BF Goodrich. And I somehow remember that one. Then the other one must have been the one that doesn't exist that I can't remember. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get I'll give you a hint. Renee Thomas drove this these tires to victory in 1914. <laughs> it, it, is it some? Random company uh, from like the UK or something like that. It's an English. Whoa, it's an English tire manufacturer whoa, whoa. that was. An, <laughs> it was an English tire manufacturer, I, right? I and it was the, the, the company right was established in 1895. I said that even that's the only British tire manufacturer in Dunlop I can think of. It's definitely not Cooper Tiger. 
We'll toss uh, that one out. No, it's not Cooper Tire, no. No, and it's not uh, uh, <laughs> it's definitely not Hoosier either. Well, no, it's not Hoosier. Uh, was it something called like Palmer Concord or something like that? Yes. Palmer Cord tires. I wasn't off by much. No, you weren't off by much. You weren't off by much. Palmer Cord tires. Yes, sir. So uh Seth did you just pull that out of your ass or did you Google that? I did Google it because <laughs> I knew it. I, this time I Googled it. With the hints he was giving, I was like, it has to be some old one. And it had to be one that no longer exists that none of us would get. Okay, so here, here's here's a related one. What's, what? When was the last Indy 500 that was... One with a tire other than Firestone. So when was the last time Goodyear, Goodyear won the Indy 500? It, it had to be the late 90s because that was around. Yes, late the, 90s, right? You're, you're right there. That was around the end of the tire war in Goodyear or in uh, IndyCar. I'll let someone answer before I say mine. Well, Seth, give it a shot. Late 90s, you're right there. Make uh, it pick a year. Was it Cheever in 98? No, but Cheever did win on Goodyear Tires. So that leaves, that leaves what? If it was I know the, it. If it was in I the late know. 90s and it was later than 98, it must have been... 99. 99, yep. Kenny Brack <laughs> in the A.J. Foyt car. So yep. it, was, it was the last time, and, and since then, every other, every other win has come on Firestone Tires, so... Um, but that was a fun little trivia question. But we are now out of time, officially. So I want to thank you, uh, Louise and Seth and Richard. And I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network and Spreaker and iHeartRadio and Google Podcast and all you folks that tune in and, and listen to us. Until next week, have a good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.